We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we are joined by a special guest. It's Anthony Armstrong, former Commanders receiver. Well, back then they were called the Redskins, but now they're called the Commanders. He is the host of the Believe in Commanders podcast. You can also find him on Twitter, on social media, Mr. Armstrong. Nick and I had the luxury of watching some of his tape. Now, let me say something. He had some really good routes against the Giants, and he scored three touchdowns against the Giants in his career. None that we're happy about. One on a post-wheel concept that Nick brought up to me off the pod, and I, I almost get like, you know, a little bit of like, I don't want to call it like um. What's the word for it? I get like a little shell shock when I hear post wheel right now because the Giants call post wheel every single game. And to this point, Anthony, they haven't thrown one post or one wheel off of it. It's always the backside drag. And I'm looking for them to throw that route at some point. But we're happy to have you here. We're happy to talk football with you. How are you doing today? Man, I'm good. I can't complain. Uh, weather, weather, it didn't turn cold down here. I mean, y'all are up north, so y'all know what cold is like. But it just got cold in Texas now. And, um, People call that football weather. I don't, but I'm excited for the game on Sunday regardless. Yeah, we're excited too. And I think a good place to start for the commanders, because you guys were looking like you were going to be horrendous in the beginning of the year. Taylor Heineke takes over, and I believe you guys are like 5-1 and one in your last six games. Can you speak to the differences between Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz, and what does Taylor Heineke offer this team that Wentz was not? That's a great question, Nick. Um, well, actually, with this win over Atlanta, it's six and one in the last seven. So Taylor's been on a roll with this team, and, and I think it's a couple of different things. You got to give Taylor some love. Um, I think he gives Scott Turner, offensive coordinator, the opportunity to actually expand that playbook and to go into different, you know, concepts and different things that Taylor is well you know, used to doing. He's been with Scott Turner since his time in Minnesota. Uh, so he's very familiar with what Scott Turner's trying to do. Um, and that opens up that playbook. Uh, the second thing is that you have people coming back from injury. Number one, uh, Brian Robinson Jr. He's been able to make a huge impact and bring some identity and some physicality to this running game. It allows Antonio Gibson to move in some different positions. Uh, you get some versatility and flexibility. And then you add on the fact that Taylor is throwing the ball to the best receiver on the field, Terry McLaurin. Give him his opportunities. Give him eight, nine, ten targets a game. And that's happened over these past seven games. And, and I think 
all those things together, not, can't forget the defense. The defense have been playing out of their mind as well. But I think the team that you see now is what what the, the brass in Washington envisioned at the beginning. I think they wanted something to have a physical running attack and be able to spread the ball to their, their athletes and their playmakers in space. Yeah, I've long thought watching the NFL and kind of breaking down film like we do on this podcast that Scott Turner's one of, if not the most underrated offensive coordinators in the NFL. And I think you're seeing that this year. I think you mentioned it. Look, sometimes it's just about rapport, right? Taylor Heineke knows the system a lot better than Carson Wentz knew it. And that's not Carson Wentz's fault. He just joined the team. And more importantly, he's built a rapport with Terry McLaurin. And so earlier in the season, I thought they did a poor job getting McLaurin involved. Now they're doing a better job. But I do want to talk about the defense because to me, that's been the bigger story for the Washington turnaround. I was very harsh on Jack Del Rio earlier this year, as far as what I've seen from him. Can you, t- I haven't seen a lot of film yet on this turnaround. So I want to ask you, what is it, you know, you talked about injuries for the offense side of the ball. What's been the biggest story on how they've been able to turn around this defense? Is it just players coming back or, cause it's been like night and day from earlier in the season to now. Yeah, that's another great question. And injuries is the first one. Number one, you had Cam Curl return to the field, and you have Cole Holcomb is out. Uh, but Cole Holcomb was doing all the play calling. He had the green dot. Now Cam Curl's been doing this over the past seven weeks. Um, I think you've gotten a lot more out of Jamin Davis. Uh, that that five DB, you know, three safety, two corner looks, uh, bringing in Bobby McCain. Uh, yeah, Derek Forrest, Defoe, who's been getting his hands on the football, all of that has been able to benefit from that aggressive and active defensive line. I mean, you got to start up front, Montez Sweat, John Allen, Deron Payne. Those guys cause havoc. Those guys will bring the pain with the Y and with the I. They will wear you out. They will wear out uh, defensive, offensive lines, I should say. They stop the run. And it makes it very difficult on teams to try to move the ball. So all together, you're getting – three levels of the defense all operating at one. And if I had to pick one thing, I would have to say it's got to be Cam Curl. There's something about his presence that that he's able to play in the box. He can get there, get up there and tackle. Um, it frees up Jamin Davis to just play fast. Uh, then you have Derek Force in the backfield getting his hands on the ball. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice, if he's going to be back in this game, I think he's been a pretty big, uh, had a pretty big impact as well. Out on the edge, big 6'2", 6'3", corner, has a lot of size to him. And uh, he's been able to play the ball because he's getting targeted. People try to go away from Kendall Fuller. Uh, but Benjamin St. Juice has stepped up to the plate and made some plays when they uh, have tested him. We're fans of Cameron Curl here on this podcast. When he was, I think, a seventh round pick a few years ago, the first time he played the New York Giants, I was like, ah, oh, crap, man. They they got a player right there because he his film popped early. And I haven't watched much of him this season, but I'm not shocked that he is uh, getting high praise from someone such as yourself. And I wanted to talk about that defensive line. First off, you guys probably getting Chase Young back, which is really scary, even though he might be on a, a somewhat of a snap count. I believe he was sick last week, and that's one reason why he didn't end up playing against Atlanta. I think I read that somewhere. With Jack Del Rio, you guys don't blitz too often. Is that correct? You guys are mostly like a four-pressure type of team. You use a lot of twists and stunts up front. To me, that's problematic for the New York Giants when you look at Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, and then you could drop everybody else back into coverage because the Giants are struggling with their passing attack. And if you can get home with Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, and now Chase Young, you guys are going to disrupt Daniel Jones. You're going to disrupt this pocket, and it could be really tough sledding here for the Giants offense. I think that's the exact recipe. I mean, going against New York, you want Daniel Jones to have the whole buffet to, to handle. He has to cook the whole entire meal. If you can stop Saquon Barkley and slow him down, keep keep the Giants under 100 yards, I mean, you, Giants are 6-0 when they rush for over 100 yards. Um, and so going against this defensive line, they should be able to slow that down. Um, rookie left, ta- left 
uh, left guard. I don't know if he's going to be in. What's his name? Aduza, Azuda, Azudu. Uh, so I'm not sure if he's going to be playing or not, but he's a rookie. Um, and against the Texans, John Allen, Deron Payne had a feast against Kenyon Green. So they're licking their chops for whoever lines up there. Then you have Evan Neal, good player, but he's going to have to deal with some top-notch talent as well. Uh, but whenever you have guys across the line that can get to the quarterback without bringing that pressure, it's very, very helpful. Um, those guys can all win one-on-one battle. You get a four-down, five-down look and just – Hunt, go hunt, go get after the quarterback. I mean, they play the run on the way to the pass. Um, you shoot, you got 20 some odd hits by Montez Sweat, you got six and a half sacks by Allen and Payne. I mean, it's just evenly distributed. It's an equal opportunity defensive line right now at defense. And I want to ask you one more question on the defensive line before we turn it over to other uh units. Something the Giants struggled with mightily against the Cowboys was duo blocks up front, they just couldn't get them going. And is that something is how, how you know, how is Washington's defensive line fared against teams that run a lot of like zone read and, you know, with double teams up front. Well, last week, you know, they got ran all over by the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, it was 167 yards. I think they gave up Marcus Mariota had 50 of them. I mean, it was a lot going on there. A lot of, of strong performance by that offensive line from Atlanta. I mean, they were double teaming and pushing, getting a lot of push and, and moving the line of scrimmage. And that created a problem. And I frankly, I thought that Washington was going to drop that game. But Arthur Smith decided to watch Pete Carroll tape and threw the ball on the goal line after you've been running the ball extremely well all day. That was day. weird. That was extremely weird. He's like, I'm going to trick him. Uh, and you tricked yourself. But, you know, they they Washington has played pretty well against the run. They've been mostly a bend but don't break type of a defense. That performance last week, I would say, is more of an aberration, but you're going up against a very physical team in Atlanta. So it's kind of par for that course because they, they really weren't able to do anything else. Uh, so, you know, the, the main thing, for, for that defensive line is you got to create pressure. And if they're going to get ran on, the offense has to come through and score some points. You know, I think this is a team where it's one side isn't going to do it all by themselves. Defense has been able to hold it down for a while and give the offense a chance to kind of catch up. So uh, offense is really the big key for me, Washington's offense against New York's defense. So I want to ask you about two players in the secondary that we haven't mentioned yet. And I'll start with one that really intrigues me. And that is second year player, Derek Forrest, who is a strong safety for you guys. And I believe your defense, you run a lot of quarters, a lot of match quarters, a lot of cover three match and things of that nature. And some of the plays I've seen from Derek Forrest, I'm like, just like Cameron Curl, this guy has it. This guy possesses some sort of talent. Can you just speak to what his impact as a young player in this defense for Jack Del Rio? He gets his hands on the football. I mean, he he's a guy that turns the ball over and creates plays. I mean, the first game of the year, he had a big pass breakup in the end zone, a game-clinching interception. I mean, he's done it week in and week out, and he's, he's etched himself a solid place on this field. Uh, I think his playmaking ability, his flexibility – gives Cam Curl the opportunity to get a little bit closer to the box. And it, it gives Jack Del Rio a better opportunity to kind of put players in position to be successful. I mean, ever since they got rid of William Jackson, traded him over there to Pittsburgh, the defense has played better. William Jackson was more of a man-to-man guy. And you, and you mentioned it, quarters matched, cover three match. That's zone concepts. You got to know, you know, when somebody comes to your zone, you got to take that person. And if you're if one of those per- people are out of, out of place, it causes trouble for the defense. And I think that's what happened uh, that's what happened in those first, you know, six, seven games. They, they weren't they weren't all in one cohesive unit. You had one guy kind of playing out of place. Now that William Jackson is out, you have a whole entire defensive unit playing all together. Cam Curl is like the quarterback over there. And, and Derek Forrest, he said earlier, the front people, the guys up front, the D-line, they're hunting. I get to sit back and wait and wait for the scraps to hit the, go, uh, hit the air and he can pick those interceptions and just run around and play football. 
one second on Christian Holmes because Benjamin St. Juice missed week 12 with an ankle injury and Christian Holmes, somebody I knew nothing about stepped in and he had like six snaps before the game and he played every, almost every snap for Washington last week. What did you see from Christian Holmes? And do you think the giants will look to attempt to exploit this young rookie who is playing in a secondary where you need to be really communicative with everybody around you? Well, you know, Christian Holmes, rookie out of Oklahoma State, and he's a talented player, and the coaches have been talking, you know, highly about him as of late. He's, his game has improved, and he's making some impact uh, on the practice field, and he's getting out in the games now. Um, I do think he's going to get tested. I mean, over the past few weeks, Benjamin St. Juice has been the person that people have tried to target, and he's been able to step up to it. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that being any different with Christian. Um, I mean, you got Kendall Fuller on the other side, so they, they got to pick somebody. But the thing about it for me is, I mean, I looked at the tape of New York versus Dallas, Daniel Jones ain't gonna throw it down the field unless it's a Darius Slayton. So if, right. if you can, if you can just you know do your thing, do your thing, and understand, hey, here comes a, there may be a chance of a deep ball, make a play on it. Then, um, you know, so are they, is he gonna get tested? Sure, but I think if he handles his business and just do what you're supposed to do, you should be okay. Yeah, Anthony, I want to flip it back to the other side of the ball because there is a lot I want to talk to you about about playing wide receiver in the NFL. There's going to be going to be some general questions we're going to ask you because that's what we do here. But before we get into those, I want to talk about Terry McLaurin right now because, you know, Matt Harmon, I'm not sure if you're aware with aware of him. He does a really good job in my mind of charting wide receiver play. He watches the tape and charts if they're getting open and it's not if the ball's coming to them. It's just if they're getting open and according to his charting, Terry McLaurin's arguably the most underrated receiver in the NFL from a separation standpoint and from a consistency standpoint when it comes to getting open on a variety of routes. So from your, from actually playing football, your standpoint, playing the position, what makes him such a special receiver? And would you agree with that assessment that he might, you know, if he's on a different kind of offense, let's say he's on like a chiefs type of offense, he could be viewed as one of the best in the league in a different situation, potentially. Oh, he is definitely underrated. And I, another underrated guy I always talk about is Keenan Allen. I mean, I think those two guys probably fall in that same category. Terry got to get so much more love. And I think being in Washington is just is just comes with the territory. Like you're not going to get as much attention as you should. But the thing that impresses me most about Terry is that every single play, he's going to go out there as if he's going to get the football. And he doesn't get down if he doesn't get the football. So like we go back the first seven games with Carson Wentz. I think he had 36 targets. And in the first four games with Taylor Heineke, he had 37 targets in four games. So uh, he, he still makes big catches whenever he doesn't get the ball early. And then now you give him the ball early and often and he makes plays throughout the game. I think he's an ultimate pro. He handles his business on and off the field. He's not a diva. He's not going to give you any problems. I mean, he's a great leader. He does everything that you want him to do. And he doesn't, but he doesn't complain about it. I think that that's what makes him so special. Uh, he has a lot of speed. Um, he's very good on his technique, good good routes. Uh, he can attack the ball. I mean, I've seen him go up over many receivers and over many DBs and safeties and just bring the ball down. Um, he's, he's my favorite receiver in the league. I, I have to say that. And that's not just because he's with Washington. I just love his love his body of work. I love how he handles his business. And he might <laughs> my dog agrees. <laughs> He's a dog. Yes, he is a dog. Terry McLaurin's a dog. You gotta love. You gotta love doing everything from the crib. <laughs> I feel you. It's but, all but Terry. Like but Terry is a dog, though. I I, I love Terry. Uh, I think that he does have immaculate routes. He's he's able to get in and out of his breaks. He can run any route that you ask him. Deep, short. He can take take a short pass and take it the distance. He can also burn you deep. Um, he he doesn't seem to have any holes in this game. I mean, you talk about that for me. I was a guy that was a deep route guy. 
You know, I didn't really have a lot of the short route shifty stuff. I was more of a, hey, is it is it a 40, 50, 60 yard bomb? Let's do it. I can I can beat anybody there. But trying to get shifty inside, that wasn't my game. But Terry can do that. He, he can do everything. If he is on a different team at some point, hopefully not. I do think he's going to still have success when he's if he were to change teams. I kind of want to talk a little bit about the route nuance that you're bringing up because I watched a clip from you on Sunday Night Football against the Philadelphia Eagles. It was a 76-yard catch by you where you started about four yards outside the numbers. Your vertical route was angled inward towards the top or the bottom of the numbers. And once you got to the bottom of the numbers and ate into the leverage of the cornerback, you broke outside once his hips were flipped and you absolutely just manipulated the hell out of this defensive back and then did a great job tracking the football into your hands and catching it along the sidelines. I felt like it was a very, very good deep route by you. So can you just explain to the audience what is going through your mind when you're running that route? Are those all coaching points? Is some of that natural? Just what exactly are you thinking when you're going through that type of route and actually making the catch and doing exactly what you were taught to do? On that particular play, well, number one, appreciate the the, the, the kind words. Uh, but on that particular play, it was a stem go. You know, it was a stem go. It was something where Coach uh, Kyle Shanahan, he had seen, hey, they're running like a quarters coverage. And just based on how you release, it's going to change how the defense reacts to you. So that me going from the outside of the numbers would make me number one. And then once I got inside or close to the, as you said, the top of the numbers, that ended up making me more like a number two. So it puts me in between that safety and that corner. Me being a 4-2 guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get past you eventually. So uh, that, that inside stem helps affect that cornerback because he's thinking, is he going across the field? Now I might have, do I have to wait for somebody else to show up as number one? Uh, but whenever you're running your route, you do want to use the defense's leverage against them. You know, sometimes they play outside leverage and then they naturally want to push you inside. But maybe the best thing is to try to get back outside because they, they are trying to save it so much you know where their weak point is. And Throughout the game, you you just play games with DBs, test stuff out on run plays, see how they're going to react to different uh, the different releases, how they're going to react. Some hell, sometimes I would run a route on the backside of a run play just to see you know what they're thinking. You know, can this move work? Uh, and you set things up throughout the game. So that route right there, I, I love that one. I think I ran one of those against Seattle. I had a catch over Brandon Browner. So you know, it's just something to help affect the DBs a little bit, make them think you're going somewhere else. And then you can uh, go up and make a big play. What about the catch on Entrell roll, the deep post that you caught against the New York Giants? I think oh, I love it. What, what happened? I love on it. That yeah, that one right there. That was a bench post. Um, you start out. I, I don't know the initial formation, but kind of in a tight slot position here. Got a little uh, receiver off my off of my my hip and. Me releasing vertical puts me directly on Antrell. Um, so whenever I kind of got to bend outwards a little bit, he has to break for it because his leverage, he's way inside. He's you know, off to my right, and I break away from him, so he has to drive downhill to get to the ball. Oh, but when he does that, I'm going to turn and go this other way, and then there's nobody there. Uh, so that was a route where uh, we ran it before against uh, – Generally, against like a is a cover two, like a cover two or a quarters. They were they both work in there, uh, but essentially, you get a receiver against a safety. That's usually a mismatch, um, and that was a great play to be able to do that. And Rex Grossman put that thing up there, and uh, that was a good day. That was a good. T- that was number two. That was two or three against the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about something you mentioned a little bit earlier: vertical separation and how it impacts in your mind the game from a schematic standpoint. I've always been a believer that you know if you have 
more important, like there's always a debate, like what kind of receivers do you want to make up your receiver core? I've always been a believer. The more speed you can get on the field, the harder it is for defenses to try to scheme to stop you. I, you look at what Miami's doing right now with Terry Kill and Jalen Waddle. You essentially teams cannot play zone against them because it's just yeah. not working. At, there, there's really no way to beat them, but maybe like hope to press man blitz and like force two to throw deep where they're going to get separation. So what does it actually do? Like you talked about, you were a four, two guy. What does it actually do when you have that kind of speed on the field from a schematic standpoint? Yeah, sure. Sure. So basically you got to think the field's going to get stretched either horizontally or it's going to get stretched vertically. Whenever you have speed and, you know, Tyreek Hill, um, any Darius Slayton, somebody that's running deep and the teams respect it, it's going to expand the field vertically. So the zones are going to be more, they're going to be larger in between the linebackers and the safeties. And, and you know, uh, so let's see if you have a, really you know, a, a deep threat that the teams are going to respect. Now you can see tight ends coming in on that second level, uh, you know, catching passes where they're going to be a huge, huge openings. The beautiful thing about in Miami is that he's just finding Mike McDaniels, finding creative ways to get those guys the ball without having to run 70 yards downfield. Right. He, he's, he's, and I love Mike. I played, played for Mike. He's, he's a wonder king up, up top. Um, so he think he sees things a lot differently, and him him being able to attack the zones underneath and using their ability to to extend the plays out there can't can't nobody catch him. So he's just like I'm gonna get you the ball quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you if you have speed down the field, now you have to take advantage of those the second and third level throws that are gonna be more open. Uh, and so I'm I'm kind of surprised that you don't see that more from New York. Uh, if you're gonna at least throw it deep to Slayton a couple of times, now you can hit somebody else coming across. I think that would be a good play, but. That's not my that's that's above my pay grade. That's above my pay grade. I do think, though, you got to have if you're going to have speed on the field, it, it, it doesn't even have to necessarily be speed. It has to, it has to be the willingness to throw the ball deep. If you say I'm going to throw it deep, I don't care if they everybody's slow, but you you show that you're going to do that. The teams have to respect it. And if you're not if you don't ever put it on tape, then they're not going to respect it. They're going to play close to the box. You get what I'm saying? So there are times where, hey. Just throw that sucker deep. I don't care if they're fast, slow, doesn't matter. Just throw it okay. deep to get them off of you. You got to get them off of you. If they don't respect it, this is the league. If they don't respect you, they are not going to change. Be like, oh, let's be nice. Let's let them throw it. No, forget that. <laughs> Step on their throat uh, and take that game, That take that away from the game. So, you know, throwing it deep, you got to do it. You got to show that you want to do it. You got to actually, actually put it out there. And that's going to open up things for the rushing attack, which is exactly what the New York Giants want. And I know you brought up Darius Slayton's name, so I wanted to ask you, Anthony, have you watched any of Darius Slayton? Because he's having a really good season, and I'm not sure if you're aware, but this dude was a fringe guy who was about to get cut during training camp, and the Giants forced him to take a pay cut. He came back as the fifth wide receiver, and now he is arguably the most dangerous weapon on this offense, not named Saquon Barkley. So have you gotten to watch his film yet? Man, I, I, he keeps making highlight plays every week. You know, every time you turn on sports, and there's Darius Slayton catch. What, what was it? It was against the the Bears, I think it was. He caught the ball like on the, the little slant route or a hitch or something, and he just went up the sideline. I mean, the guy has speed. He can break tackles. He's very talented. I, I'm glad that he's getting opportunity. I don't need him to ball out on Sunday though. But <laughs> you know, you, you you feel for a guy like I'm. I feel that though because I was I was a guy that was. 54 out of 53. Like I was, I worked my way up the bottom. I was a practice squad guy until I made the roster. So I feel what Darius Slayton's going through and he's taking advantage of his opportunities. Um, and I don't know what his contract status looks like, but somebody's going to try to bring that guy in. I think he can make a lot of impact and talented player, talented player. I like what he's doing. Um, and I think he's going to end up being 
more successful uh, as this offense grows. You know, as he gets deeper into this offense, I think he'll end up having a much bigger role down the line. One division two guy, right, Anthony? Yeah, D two man, West Texas A and M. West Texas A and M didn't get drafted. Didn't get drafted. I played in the intense football league for a season. Played arena football for two seasons. I played against the New York Dragons over there in Long Island a couple of times. So, you know, so I, I spent three years to get to the league. And then I finally made it on a practice squad in 08. So I feel that I feel that grind. I, I can respect it. What was that yeah. transition like from from a division two to the NFL working your way up like that? And then like every practice, every throw, every catch, every rep means so much. If you make one mistake, it's like so damning. Man, I tell you, the 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 ride up was was special. It was because honestly, I didn't know what the hell was gonna happen. Like I I had gotten invited to the Falcons minicamp, rookie minicamp, failed my physical because of uh, I just had surgery on my wrist, didn't play ball that whole next year. Um, and I called the scout back and he's like, yeah, we don't have no tape. You got to go get some tape. I was like, I was thinking I could just, you know, show back up because I'm healthy now. And he's like, no, nah, I don't have any tape. So I, I took the first thing I could and played small time arena football. And I told myself, I got to graduate every year. I got to move up if I'm going to keep trying to play this game. Because I figured I could play. I'm fast. I got I can catch. Uh, I just got to get into the right opportunity in the right situation. And I bet on myself, man. That's that's all it was. I turned down the job. I said, I'm going to go play football. I got time. You know, I was 22 at the time. So by the time I got to the league, I was like 25, 26. And uh, the bet paid off. The bet paid off for sure. Yeah, pretty damn cool, I would say. I want to talk to you a little bit about playing the wide receiver position. One of the things we do on this podcast over here is Every week we break down the film, we put it on YouTube, and we run through all the plays on the coach's film. So one thing that people who are learning the game while watching us always want to know is, and I love getting this perspective from people we have on the podcast, what should they be looking for when they're watching tape on a wide receiver? What are some of the things you want to be keeping your eye on? Number one, you got to watch the All-22, all right? Don't get enamored with the TV copies. Like if, you, if you're only watching TV copies, you're not getting the full story. Because if you watch all 22, you get to see how that receiver this releases. This is like a public service announcement for our own it podcast is. right Because <laughs> that's man, what we do. <laughs> bro, like, I've, I've watched games, but it's so annoying that the, that they only focus on the camera. And then yeah. and then if you listen to the commentators, you'll think that the receiver ran the wrong route. And you'll think that everybody else did something wrong, but the quarterback was always right. Half the time, the quarterback's wrong. Yeah, but, you're damn right. But you, can't, but you can't tell. You can't say that to the quarterback, right? So maybe you're watching the receiver position, man. You want to see how those guys are um, – really, how are they handling their routes at the top of the route? You want to see are they getting getting separation like y'all, you know, like Matthew Berry has tracked and uh, what they talk about Terry McLaurin. Even though in this league separation is just being yard, in, right? yeah. yeah, even less. Like if the DBs right yeah. behind me, this separation. I've won my route because I'm in between the DB and the football. That's that's separation in this league. Um, I'm, I, I like to look and see how. I try to think, see how players are thinking a little bit. You can you can look at the line on the back of their helmet. That's why they put those on there so you can see where they're looking. Um, so you can see how teams, how receivers are setting DBs up. Devontae Adams, uh, Stephon Diggs, those guys are very creative about how they run their route stems. Um, and and if you're trying to learn that position, you can watch those guys and see how they affect DBs. Um, when I was coming up, I would study Lavernius Coles. Santana Moss, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harris. I, I would literally pick a player every day 
and watch their tape and write down the good things that they did, even if it wasn't a catch. Like, I don't care about all the catches because there's only right. so many passes that are going to be thrown. But there's a lot to learn, a lot to watch just based on you know how a person handles their business. I love it. That was a really cool breakdown. And I wanted to ask you on that standpoint, just because you brought it up and it sparked my you know, attention. What are your thoughts on, so this is something that's debated highly between fans at all times, how a quarterback sees a field after the snap. So we know the quarterback can do a lot of things to manipulate a defense before the snap, but then after the snap with all the safety rotations you see nowadays and all the different things you see from defenses, is in your mind, is it something that they can improve on or is it something natural? This is something that I feel like it's like a 50 50 in the industry. Some people think a quarterback either has it or he doesn't. Like you look at like the Breeze Brady types, and then some people are like, no, he can get better with good coaching and just yeah. reps and things like that. Man, I think film study, film study, film study, film study is probably going to be number one because you have to see it. You have to see it every week. You're going to, they're, they're going to get a, a game plan. It's probably on the iPad now, but. They'll tell you, hey, on third down, they're going to run cover two man 22% of the time. On first down, they're going to run cover three X amount of time. So you know what to expect. And now when you put it on the tape, you can see, hey, how does that safety, you know, hide something? Uh, how does he disguise certain things? I, I remember seeing, I think it was a clip of either Ed Reed or Palomalu of going against Peyton Manning. And they even, Ed Reed knew. He was like, Peyton Manning's going to look me off to the left. And then he's going to go back right, but he's going to come back left. And he, he did that exact same thing, and it was a pick because of the film study, because of the film study. Now, I will say this. I remember my first couple of years in the league, the, the, the offensive coaches would set up a play in practice, and they would put it up against the best defense that it's set up for. I was not a fan of that because I was like, well, what are the chances? You know, what if they don't run that defense? Right. Yes. So – there would be times where you'd see the quarterback every all throughout the week. We run the same play against cover two. Well, you get in the game, they run cover three, and the quarterback has gotten so used to throwing the cover two ball mm-hmm. where now it's cover three and it's an interception. They're like, what are you doing? And it was well, because it's been freaking pounded into his head that you're going to run this play against cover two. Now, is that on the quarterback? Yes. Is that on the coach? Yes. I, I, so it, it is a little bit of both, but I think film study is going to start. But I got to give some respect. I played flag football and I had like five snaps at quarterback. That was difficult. It's not easy. Okay. It's not easy to see 53 and a third all the way across. And yeah. look at looking at the game against, you know, New York against Dallas. What one thing that Dable was doing, roll, roll uh, Daniel Jones out and make the read Absolutely. only this much. You got to yeah. read two, three people, one, two, and then the third one is you run. Take off. If number one's not open, number two's not open, the third option is for you to run or throw it away. Uh, so coaches can help hide some quarterback deficiencies and their inability to see the entire field, but it ain't easy. <laughs> Everybody's like, he's got to see that. It's like, shoot, that ain't easy. So just he does need to see it, but you got to also be like, no, that's really not that easy to do. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff going on, and that's been the Giants' offense most of this season is just use Daniel Jones's mobility. We'll see how Washington can 
can handle that. And I kind of want to ask you one question about these running backs, just to pivot back to the commanders. What exactly is going on with this running back position with Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson? Because last week, Brian Robinson looked phenomenal. I think he averaged like three yards after contact. He's a little bit more physical than Antonio, whereas Antonio is a little bit more explosive. You can correct Mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong there. But what do you expect heading into this game against the New York Giants defense between these two running backs? How do you think the workload will be divvied up? I think if you had to go just off of the carries, you probably think two to one uh, to Brian, let him lead it out and be the guy that's really going to set the tone. Uh, And that, like I mentioned earlier, it's going to give Antonio Gibson an opportunity to line up in different spots and do different things. You know, you don't have to make him run in between the tackles every time. He's a guy that can run routes. He can go up against DBs, safeties, linebackers, and be a mismatch. So I've been harping all year. AG needs about 20 touches, 20 touches, not necessarily carries, just 20 touches. Get him the ball, screens, uh, kick returns, punt returns, hell, just find a way to get him the ball in different opportunities and and situations and take advantage of his ability to run routes. Uh, So that's why I would say you still got to let Brian tote that note and and, and be the the postman and, and carry it day in and day out, because I think that's going to be the key to success is to make sure that they can run the ball and do it consistently. I see something about your, the rushing attack that you guys employ too. It's a lot of eye candy in the backfield, a lot of motion across a lot of, I saw some zone reads to hold the end man on the line of scrimmage, split yep. flow action. I saw power. You guys have a diverse rushing attack. And I think that's more than likely going to assist you because the New York Giants second level has been an issue. But I wanted to ask, are you guys at counter team because that's one thing that I um I'm not 100% certain how much counter you guys run and Kellen Moore attempted to exploit the Giants last week with counter but the Giants actually played it well but all season <laughs> they've been really bad defending counters how much counter do uh Was- does Washington run I haven't seen much counter it's mostly like you've been mentioning a lot of window dressing jet sweeps things of that nature they you know jet sweep somebody by fake that and then hand it off on a dive maybe get a little zone or uh, just some outside uh, runs I haven't seen many counters haven't seen much of that uh, from this team I, I just don't think that that's what um what scott turner's really liking to do he, he likes putting putting a little bit extra uh, pizzazz on top of his on top of his plays and showing the defenses a lot of things and i think it helps slow down some of that pass rush i mean i, I saw the way Kayvon thibodeau absolutely disrespected the tight end uh, against dallas to go get a big hit on uh, on Dak prescott right so now you start throwing you know, these jet motions and things like that. And maybe he doesn't get the full beeline on your quarterback a little bit. So not a lot of counter, but they, they do find ways to, to keep make the defense think and just slow down just a taste. Random question, Anthony, about a random player on Washington's offense, just because he was a big blue banter favorite. But John Bates, I believe he caught a touchdown last week. How how effective is he as a blocker? Because I remember him back at Boise State, and that dude blocked his ass off like on every single play. Is he a weapon for this offense whenever you guys enter 12 personnel? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's he's the one uh, outside of Logan. But John is the one that's going to be the heavy, the heavy lifting on the blocking side. Logan is the the other one that's going to do that. But when you look at the young guys like Armani Rogers, Cole Turner, those are guys that are, you know, string beans, if you will. They're, they're not. They're more pass catching tight ends. So uh, John Bates is somebody that is going to have to put his hands in the dirt and, and get dirty. And, and he will do that. But he got rewarded last week with that touchdown. So he's got a got some hands, got some uh, ability there. But uh, yeah, he's going to have to get physical a little bit. And I, I did see that you talk about 12 personnel. 
when Dallas found themselves in that 12 personnel, that's when that's when things got very physical. And that's when they started to move the ball a lot. So I'm intrigued to see, is that going to be something that, you know, Scott Turner and Washington try to employ? Um, or are they going to try to stay with the three wide receiver looks and, and, and see how that matchup how, uh, happens? That's a great point, I think, Anthony, because this has been a team, as you just mentioned, with Washington. They like they want to use 11 personnel. They have the personnel to do it. They have three good receivers. But Giants are a team that you can really benefit if you use heavy personnel, 12, 13 personnel against, because they simply don't have the linebacker play necessary to really make. And at this point, they don't really have the safeties to fill either. So they're just kind of like out on, at the second and third level for the Giants right now are just kind of is what it is situation for the rest yeah. of the year until they get some guys back. So it will be interesting to see if he does anything with that turn because it goes against his tendencies, but it might just be like a matchup thing. And so yeah. I'll be definitely keeping an eye on that. All right, Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time today. Before before he gets out, before yeah. he gets out, I'm going to ask him one question about right. his playing experience because he has played under some interesting individuals. So Anthony, can you give us a quick synopsis on what it was like to play under Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel? Man, I tell you, so that I, I got the picture over here. This is the 2011 team. This is the one that you always see on SportsCenter when they're like, look at this. They had there is Matt LaFleur. Yeah. There is uh, Mike McDaniels. There's Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan. And there's a few other people in here that are probably going to be some, uh, had their names thrown around um, as well. But whenever I was playing with those guys, they were all so young. Everybody, yeah, I'm like 28 and they're like 26. So I'm like, y'all are kids. You know what I mean? So like we were all in the same, in that same age range, which was kind of right. wild. Um McVeigh was like I, it was no surprise that his team you know are generally prepared. This the way they're playing this year is kind of an aberration, but he had his he had his tight end position so sewn up and prepared. I mean, I think if y'all remember, Fred Davis had an, an awesome year oh, yeah. uh, in 2011, and I think a lot of that had to do with with uh, with Sean um, Mike McDaniel. It was in Cleveland where um, now mind you, I started. I knew I know Kyle's offense in and out. You know, I would know it. And I got used to his play call style. And in Cleveland, there was a day where they called a different play. And I was like, and I, I always would draw the plays out. So I know every route. And I would look and I was like, what the hell is this? I'm like, I, was like, I know the route, but I'm like, is this, you know what it is? And Mike was like, yeah, I drew that up. It's a different. And I was like, no wonder. Okay. Like he put, he put different people in different positions. Um, and just by, just by simple, you know, adjustments and play calling. So it, he, it was able to take away tendencies. Um, you, you see the the clip about Andrew Hawkins saying how he shows clips of P, uh, of uh, Allen Iverson crossing people over to to release. So, uh, but playing underneath all those guys, it was actually a lot of fun. I, they they were all good. They had a lot of energy about them. Um, it was good to have younger younger coaches at that time because everybody else was like 50, 60, 70 years old. Right. And they're they're trying to do things old school ways. And you had these young guys who had some energy and. Um, it was exciting to play for those guys. So I'm excited to see them have success in this league now. Um, if they would answer the phone, <laughs> I would probably throw my name in for a scouting job or something like oh, that, just like in it. case, just in case I need to have a little job. You know, I need something. So I might give Mike a call. Might give Mike, Mike a call. Man. Do it. Yeah, maybe we can. <laughs> Maybe maybe they'll listen to this somehow. But um, thank you so much for taking the time. I actually got one more fun one to throw out to you, and then we're gonna do what we always do, which we're gonna ask you for a prediction. You can decide to decline it if you want. No, so I'm ready. Do. I got a prediction. Okay. No, yeah, I'm okay, good okay. with it. Let's do it. 
Okay, but before that, I do want to ask a fun one that I that we don't ask a lot, but I think it's fun for a receiver. Who was the best quarterback you ever played with? The quarterback? Quarterback. Q- the best quarterback. QB? Man, oh, see, I always feel like this is – like people expect to hear like the biggest name. I, mean, I, I got to play with Donovan McNabb, Rex Grossman, right. John Beck, Tony Romo, you know, Kyle Orton, uh, a lot of names out there. Uh, I think everybody was different, right? Donovan threw a very heavy pass that was flying in like a howitzer. And it was just like, I was just like, just catch the damn thing. I don't care if it was with my hands, with my feet, with my knees, just catch it. <laughs> just catch the ball, right? That's all I wanted to do with Donovan. But then with Rex, he didn't have as much arm strength, but Rex would look at you in the huddle. He'd be like, double stem go. And then I was like, oh, shit, that's me. Bet. He's doing it to me. Like, it, it, didn't, it doesn't matter. Like, he could be a backside, like, hey, you're not yeah. supposed to get the ball. But he's like, Anthony, I'm throwing you the ball. I'm like, okay, bet. bet. So, um, so like, I, I, going all the way back to Heineke, I think Heineke gives – his receivers chance at 50, 50 balls. And you want that as a receiver, right. you know, and Rex and Rex would do that. Rex would throw that thing up there. Everybody's like, Oh, he's a gambler. I'm like, he damn right. He is. That's how he plays. And, and as a receiver, you love that. Um, but I mean, honestly, I appreciated playing with all those guys. I was, a, I was almost fanboying it out my entire career. Like I was just like, Oh my God, that's D'Angelo Hall. Oh my God, that's London Fletcher. You're like, I'm on the field with these guys. I was super yeah. excited. So can I, can I say who's better than the other? I don't know. I had a lot of success with both of those guys, to be honest. I feel that. Like, what about what about cornerback? Is there like a certain cornerback that you were like, man, that guy is just really talented from a technique or an athletic ability standpoint? Yeah. I'll give you a name. I'll give you a name that who probably nobody's ever going to say, but like I got to I got to give a shout out to a guy named Sterling Moore. He's a he's actually a DB coach down there in, in New Orleans now. He had the most consistent uh, technique. He's out of SMU and strong guy but consistently you would see him matched up with the team's best receiver uh, when he was with new england he'd go match up with somebody's best receiver time and time again and still have success uh, have some success so he was a guy who was probably you know i say he gave you problems uh because he was just he was really good at what he did but he just didn't get as much public praise as, as some of the bigger names he never got the big contract like some of those guys um the right. d'angelo hall was a guy where if the ball was anywhere within his like wingspan, he was gonna pick that thing off. Like that, that was gonna happen. And if you weren't on your if you weren't on your game, he's gonna, you know, intercept the ball on you. I mean, you saw four picks against uh Jay Cutler and the Bears. Like that's that's real life. That's not, you know, you gotta be pretty good, you gotta have good ball skills to to make that happen. So the DBs that made you be on your game every single time those are the ones that are the most difficult uh because your fundamentals just had to be on point and there's usually were really really good let's wrap this bad boy up by saying uh by letting everybody know your prediction on this game oh yes my prediction i think this is a close one like i said um well i didn't say this earlier giants y'all have had nine one score games this year nine of them nine of them that's a lot uh but i think you're gonna have another one score game you're just gonna be on the short end of the stick this go around i think this looks like a 24 17 type of a matchup uh maybe like a 24 18 something like that uh where where washington is going to get the w i think it's going to come down to taylor heineke and taking care of the football if you can hold you know saquon barkley under 100 yards uh, that's going to give washington the best chance of victory but then taylor has to take care of the football so i'm going 24 17 commanders all right. Thanks for joining us, Anthony Armstrong. You can find him on Twitter at un, or no underscore at Mr. Armstrong 13. Check him out on the Believe in Commanders podcast. 
And thanks again for joining us today. Have a great weekend. You got it, man. Appreciate y'all. Good luck on Sunday. Great and mighty listeners of the Big Blue Banter podcast. I don't know if you've heard about this drink from the Alps called Liquid Death. Some confuse it with beer because the tall boy cans give that type of illusion. But it's actually mountain fresh water that will quench your thirst. If you're parched, go get Liquid Death. And you can get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores. Those are in a lot of locations around the United States and the world. Or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash big blue. That's liquiddeath.com slash big blue. Enjoy it. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the Win Bet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During Win Bet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on Win Bet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. That was an excellent interview with Anthony Armstrong. I just love hearing from the former players especially when we get into the questions about what it's like to actually play the game, what to look for. But now is the time, Nick. We have to give our predictions. We didn't do a preview last week because of the Thanksgiving week, so thankfully we didn't have to predict that Cowboys game. Though we probably would have got that one right, unfortunately. How about this game, though, Nick? Where are you at for this game? 
Give me your breakdown and your prediction. I think my prediction for last week would have been like 28 to uh, 14 or something like that. So the Giants were a little bit better than that. (laughs) (laughs) But for this week, yeah, yeah, because of the garbage time. For this week, Dan, look, I think it's going to come down to just whatever team makes that mistake is going to be the losing team. I think this is going to be a more low scoring affair than than what Anthony predicted. I'm going to go with like a 20 to 18 type of game where I, I think the Giants are going to pull it out. I'm not confident about that. I'm going to go with the Giants. I think pressuring Taylor Heineke, getting after Taylor Heineke and accelerating his clock is going to be a way to win this football game. I'm a little bit scared to pick the Giants because I do believe that this rushing attack of Washington is no joke. And I think their defensive front is one of the best defensive fronts in the league. And they're getting Chase Young back. I think if you look back historically, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, they've always given the Giants fits. Always. But I think there's going to be one mistake. It could be a special teams mistake. It could be a Taylor Heineke interception. He doesn't have the strongest arm. Force him to throw outside the numbers. Try to force him to throw to the far side of the field and just try to bait him into a mistake. And then Daniel Jones can't make mistakes. And I think the Giants can win this football in a gross, close game. Not confident about it, though. But that's my pick. Okay. I think there's going to be a little bit more points than that. Personally, I feel like the additions of Evan Neal getting Tyree Phillips off the field and just getting Jack Anderson off the field at left guard, who I thought it's not like he was a disaster, Jack Anderson, but he wasn't good. And he screwed up that big screen play. And that was a play that could have changed the game. And that's just not going to happen if you get him off the field. So just getting those guys off the field, putting in better players there. Hopefully, if Daniel Bellinger plays, that's kind of the big wild card. I don't know. Have you seen the latest on that? The last I saw is it's up in the air, but these still up in the air. It's mm-hmm. up, yeah, up in the air, optimistic type of thing. It's Wednesday. We don't know yet, but if Bellinger, Neil, and they take off Anderson, it's probably going to be. It looks like Feliciano at center and Gates at left guard, which I don't love, but it is what it is. At least it's better than Jack Anderson. Um, so you get three more players on your offense. You just haven't had. I think that's going to lead to because I just think of this Cowboys game, and there it would have been such a so much closer game if they had a few things go right with the blocking, a few more things in my mind go right with the blocking. So I like that. And then I think of the other side of the ball, and I'm so worried about the second and third level. But I kind of like the game plan Wink came out with last week against Dallas to use this week against Washington, like you just talked about. So against Dallas, it's a tougher game plan to run all that cover zero to blitz because you have Dak and he's an anticipatory thrower. But at the same time, what else were you going to do? You're dead. You're, you have new guys in the secondary. You can't really play zone. You don't really want to just sit back and rush forward. It's not going to work. Against Washington, I think this will be a much better game plan. I think Taylor Heineke, like you said, is a quarterback who will struggle struggle more when a defense dictates to him. He's going to hit some big plays, though. Like I think he's going to hit some big plays to McLaurin. That's why I said it's a little higher scoring than you were thinking. So I think the Giants are going to have one of their better offensive days in a while and win this game 27-24. I'm pretty confident the Giants will win this game, despite no one else really believing in them. It might be, be a gut feel, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. But I like this. As, as long as Wink sticks with the game plan, I assume he will, which is just attack, 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 Heineke, and just you know slam forward downhill and try to take away the run game and force him to try to beat them downfield. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's going to be a little bit more high scoring. I'm not as optimistic as you are, yeah. but I am picking a victory, and we'll have to see how this plays out because this is a really freaking important game for the Giants. Oh, yeah. And I think the Giants got job, bro. I mean, you are playing Washington, then they go on a bye week, and then they play you coming out of the bye week. That is screwed nice up. for them. Yeah, that is nice for them. Beautiful for them. They get the game plan for the Giants three freaking weeks in a row. True. 
including a bye week to rest up. Yeah, that's why this game is even more important because they're going to have a tougher time winning that second game. Um, a split gives the Giants a chance to make the playoffs. If they lose both of these Washington games, I think we're done personally because if you just look mm. at the schedule moving forward, that's what an Eagle, two Eagles and a Colts. Like the Colts is like the only winnable game of those two, really, unless the Eagles bench their guys, which is still like undetermined and uncertain. So this is as close to a must win game as you're going to get this week. I actually think they need to kind of sweep the commanders and, and to really get into the playoffs. And we'll see what happens there, obviously, as we move forward. But, you know, I have confidence. So so I'm just going to keep that confidence as we roll into Sunday and we'll see what happens. But anyway, thanks everyone for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. We'll talk to you again on Sunday after the game. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week and go Giants.